0: Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion.
1: Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith, coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, the jewel of the Grand River, You can find us online at doubtcast.org or freethoughtblogs.com slash reasonable doubts. You can listen to us on Public Reality Radio, 1680 AM WPRR, Ada Grand Rapids, 95.3 FM W237CZ, Hudsonville, and 88.3 FM WPJC in Pontiac, Illinois. And as always, streaming at publicrealityradio.org. My name is Dave Fletcher. With me in the studio, my fellow Doubtcasters, Mr. Jeremy Bean, Yellow, yellow. Mr. Justin Schieber. Hello. And Dr. Professor Luke Galen. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> and and we're happy to have you here. Coming up in this episode, we have an interview with John Loftus. Uh, also, polyatheism, a shit list, and some God thinks like you. But first... He was sent to Earth from the heavens by his father in order to give hope to the world. He was raised by a modest human family and became the savior of humanity. Of course, I'm referring to Superman. Uh, the new Superman movie is out. And if it's anything like the uh, four of the other five Superman movies before it, it's bound to be an enormous disappointment. Uh, you mean you seen haven't it? seen it? I have not seen. Wow. it. I was totally
2: banking on you. you having haven't seen, seen it. Hey, um, Way to let us down. Oh, I know. Jesus. I know.
1: I have. I have children. I don't get to see anything. You're supposed to be sitting ever. in a chair with red underwear on.
2: I know. I. I, I well, when has having children ever stopped you from seeing a superhero <laughs> I movie? Well, you yeah. I, expect us I, to I take usually that. get to the
1: midnight shows. I didn't. For, well, I, I. I boycotted it for the first week as a. uh Shine of uh, show of support for special effects artists who are underpaid. It was a a. a mild protests that didn't no. seem to work is very well is, <laughs> that, <laughs> is that a money. joke no that's actually know. true it was okay. just it was just okay. not to not see the movie but to not see it opening weekend to show look people care that special effects artists who oh, okay. contribute so much to these movies or not couldn't are, you have like underpaid. taken
2: pictures of the stands and like CGI'd out all the, all the people and made it appear like there was a protest yeah sure sure could have <laughs>
1: although the hundred plus million dollars it made last weekend oh um, uh, yeah yeah anyway um, so so I haven't seen it yet, but I, I will at some point, although I got to say, Superman movies, not a great track record. But maybe this one, uh, the reason is that uh, we're just not the right audience for it because according to Warner Brothers Marketing Department, Man of Steel is reaching out to
3: a specifically
1: Christian audience in some – very interesting
3: ways you know the christians don't get enough targeted marketing so i'm really right. <laughs> it is glad about to see time. This, this the, the movie actualized. people
4: what they actually reached out and they are sending emails to pa- to pastors of congregations and such
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Wow. They, uh, in That's fact, fun. even sent churches – not only did they um, let pastors across the country in on sneak previews of Man of Steel, but they also sent out packets for how to tailor a Father's Day sermon, which happened to be opening weekend of, of Man of Steel, toward using the title – Jesus, the original superhero. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and they sent out discussion notes as well, uh, particularly targeted at uh, Christian churches that have the, the multimedia presentations where they do slides yeah. and they do video. The sermon notes,
2: the Jesus, the original superhero sermon notes that came with their Little promotional package that Mm -hmm. was sent out to these churches. It actually included a spot for a clip of the movie. Yes. So Mm -hmm. they had a, they had a clip already tailored, ready for them. Mm. Uh, And the the
1: sermon notes ask, quote, how might the story of Superman awaken our passion for the greatest hero who ever lived and died and rose again?
4: (laughs) You know what's ironic about that is that, that the creators of Superman were these two Two Jewish, Jewish guys.
1: The young men. In
4: fact, there was a book – I forget what the title of it was, but a couple of years ago there was a book that talked about how they came up with the idea mm-hmm. of Superman and a lot of it was sort of like almost a revenge fantasy against Aryan Absolutely. Well, I heard Nazis. Absolutely.
3: I heard that Superman was originally supposed to be a prophet who would come back and uh, save the Jewish people and be <laughs> a military uh, – Leader, <laughs> you know, right? No, not, and that, and that the new Superman is just kind of you know reinterpreted, <laughs> right? Isn't well, there's the different case? texts, yeah. They around, contradict each yeah, other. Around the what was it, the
2: 60th or the 70th uh, anniversary? Like oh, back around 98, 99, something like that. They they did they kind of did a momentary back to the original days plot line mm-hmm. and yeah it yes, was it was superman the nazi slayer basically yep. <laughs> yeah beating up Nazis it's a really good
1: story and, actually that was i want to say that was right after he had his electric powers which was yep. a terrible yep. story they
2: they um, brought him back together and yep. uh yeah I, I that's back when i read comic books too and superman is you know so white bread and bland and everything else He's a Kansas but farm boy. they they dc had really good writers they had they were all oh, back yeah. then
1: yeah. I prefer uh, the Captain
4: America story than to the Superman story.
2: Yeah,
1: because you like fascists. He's fighting against the fascists.
4: Iron Man's the yeah, fascist. you're
1: right. You're right. Iron Man's the fascist <laughs> in the Marvel
4: universe from? war.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. No? You're right. The, the civil war. Boy, yes. you really are a Boy Scout. He, uh, Captain
4: America, Captain defends American. the civil liberty aspect of him, whereas Tony Stark turns like authoritarian.
1: That is. That is true. Now, th- this is not the first time uh Warner Brothers has done something like this for a movie. They did it recently with Les Misérables, which I, I don't know how that worked exactly. Yeah, because the, the guy the, has a conversion, huh? doesn't he? Yeah, uh,
4: you're right. It's there's Jean Valjean, uh, the, the not criminals. Jean
1: Valjean, but the he, criminal guy. Yeah, yeah. They did um, it for blind sided. Exactly. Well. Did it for the blind side, which was pure religious yeah, and right, really right. racially insensitive propaganda. Oh, those rich white people sure
3: helped out that black guy. Um, and, and, and the movie in the Soul
1: Christ. Surfer. It's, it's strange oh, to
3: soul. me that they would do it for Les Mis because the the quote-unquote villain of Les Mis mm-hmm. is a guy who's like the sense of absolute justice. Absolutely, But then he yes. recognizes – He's that an authoritarian this, that,
1: figure. Or, right. He mm-hmm.
3: recognizes that this kind of retributivism is absurd. And, and, and then kills
1: himself. Which is Spoiler. not at all what, the, oh, it. what we would see <laughs> as God,
3: right? Right, um, right. So –
1: but, uh, y- you know, I mean, actually, Superman is actually a really good fit for this in a lot of ways because he is a Christ figure, right? He's sent from the heavens by his father to save humanity. Actually, he's sent to save himself, but he ends up saving humanity. He grows
4: up with a father who's not his real father. He grows up but with he a father who's not him, his uh, real father. a benign influence. Yep.
1: He dies uh, or was killed at least at one point in the early 90s and rose again. And
3: all of his friends go to their deaths because they believed in him. <laughs> <laughs> the super
2: friends martyred each and every one of them. Especially
3: yeah. that uh
1: Gleek, the monkey.
2: Aquaman. Um,
1: they tried to baptize Aquaman. but <laughs> so i mean so the 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 comparisons are pretty obvious, and it sounds like um zack snyder's interpretation of the character lends itself to a lot of the um kind of philosophical although from what I hear not very impressive philosophical ideas of Superman and, and what he represents as a, as a Christ figure sort of thing. So it's not ludicrous yeah. for them to make these connections. I heard there's a scene where he's kind of like up in space fighting the bad
2: guy and when he falls down to earth, I, I haven't seen the movie right, so right. I could be getting this totally wrong, but supposedly he struck the Jesus Christ pose as he was really? following. They,
1: they mentioned that in this yeah. article on CNN, Superman flying to a church near you. He's raised by surrogate parents who help him grapple with his special powers even though they don't fully and understand the source of his extraordinary abilities. When he turns 33, Superman must willingly sacrifice himself to save the human race. 33, that's weirdly specific mm-hmm. and, and obviously Christ-like. And they mentioned, too, him falling to Earth yeah. in a, a crucified pose. Uh, that raises an interesting question for me.
2: Like, how much was this premeditated and deliberate in the writing of the script? Not... Not that that would be outrageous. I mean doing Christ metaphors is as – I mean David Hume in the 18th century in his essay on the standard of taste ends the thing begging, begging playwrights, stop making Christ parallels. Right, (laughs) right. Like it's overdone. And they haven't. It's ridiculous. Not all art has to be ruined by having a reference to (laughs) Christ in it. He said have, it just I mean, like that. The Grapes but, of Wrath
1: has, has, uh, Jim Casey who's a Christ figure. We ha- I mean, this is, this is a, a stock character now is the Christ figure. Right.
2: And, and, you know, Christians seem to love them each time when they're not even good Christ characters. Uh, you know, for, for example, uh, um, uh, locals to Grand Rapids and actually probably quite a few people outside know of Mars Hill Church mm-hmm. where Pastor Rob Bell, Rob Bell author of Velvet Elvis and you know one of these kind of hipster mega church pastors uh the first i ever heard of them was mars hill church was having a movie night where they were showing the matrix oh, as a you know depressing. an r rated film yeah. <laughs> to their evening service mm-hmm. you know i i was just Wait, thinking like late. yeah, yeah. i was like I was thinking like what's going through the congregation's mind as Neo's doing somersaults in the air doing with the a bullet AK time AK47 shoot and- yeah like, what the hell is going through their minds? During Jesus, that? that's, Jesus. That's how Jesus. much Jesus loves us. Jesus had an AK-47. Well,
4: when he, when he's Mark, flogged, right? I like the shift in the flogging when you the little blood droplets hang in the air, and then the camera, like, spins around 360. You can see the, the cat on nine tails ripping his flesh. And-
1: yeah, it's – I mean, and, and um, a, a lot of churches embraced this, I think partly because it made it easy for them to write a sermon and they oh, yeah. didn't have to – to think about it too much. <laughs> in the CNN article, uh, one pastor says, uh, "You know, outright we understand this is a marketing thing. You know, they're trying to make money off of this, but yeah. quote they're using they're using us, but in fact we're using them because uh, ultimately <laughs> I'd say it's mutually beneficial. <laughs> well, uh, ultimately, the idea that they're marketing movies towards Christians is a good thing for Christians, right?" <laughs> People yeah. are people are going after the the Christian vote, as in uh, you know voting with their dollars. So that's a good thing for Christians. Yeah. Warner Brothers hired a firm,
2: uh, actually mm-hmm. Grace Hill Media. You know this, this. wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't like some CEO had. Hey, let's send emails to churches. There's there's a firm in Hollywood that their entire job is marketing to evangelicals specifically. And uh, a press release on their website talks about how this was all after Passion of the Christ. The press release declares that the Christian entertainment industry is a $3 billion a year industry. That Christian themed radio and books generate more than a billion annually.
1: I'm actually surprised that it's, yeah, it's I that, surprised that low. It that I, that. I would expect it to be more because exactly. I've seen Christian bookstores and I've seen my mom's bookshelf and uh, tons and of that. And the fact stuff. that
3: there's Christian versions of everything uh, pretty much would be It's seem like to how they do porn versions of everything
1: <laughs> and instead of the uh, porn version of The Simpsons. It's and the Christian version of The Simpsons. And
2: with missionary positions, yeah, right? Th- there's right. even the Christian porn th- crossover as th- th- uh, right, right. Uh, Triple X Church. true true story mm-hmm. the uh, president of ABC was quoted saying there's no logical reason why we can't incubate entertainment with the faith-based market and migrate it into the secular market and um,
1: it sounds so devious <laughs> know.
2: Well yeah this press release is one of the first lines is that Christianity sells people are starting to realize this. In 2007 for example, uh remember the blue collar comedy tour the oh, you yeah, know how Jeff that came Foxworthy
1: out and which, uh, all those got Larry the Cable Guy Which the Cable
2: guy? I watched it. I, I didn't think it was all that bad. That's uh, all right. but it was very clearly
1: targeted at working class typically white Yeah. Uh, typically southern the country music crowd right yeah yeah yeah. and it was incredibly
2: successful you know one of the first things they realized was wait a second a lot of the people that would be interested into in this or liked it thought it was a little bit dirty we could come up with a christian version that Mm -hmm. was the same thing Mm -hmm. and uh patricia heaton from everybody loves raymond (laughs) have you watched this yeah the thou shalt laugh
1: Oh, DVD. My it's, oh my god. Oh my god. So it, it was on Netflix. I don't I know never if it's saw so, it. But it's I want unwatchable. To. It's so terrible. And oh my god. I I am open to a lot of different comedians. It is the worst. <laughs> I like Christian
2: humor. Uh like has anybody I seen humor Has anybody Christians? seen the the Door? The Jim Morrison? The Door is like the <laughs> evangelical version of the Onion. No, mm. it's, I have it's not hilarious. Seen that. I mean, Christians know their their own bullshit. Right, they, right. I mean, my God, they have to force a smile while they're listening to that shit every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes they do a really really good send off of mm-hmm. themselves, or that YouTube video that's been floating around. Uh, yeah, crud, just, crud. Christians say or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> perfect. Little, little clips like,
3: uh, oh, you want to come over to my house and do some fellowshipping and you
2: know, <laughs> just like little. Phrases like that. Yeah. The the Christianese, uh you know, the kind of language these these youth pastors speak. So it can be done. But boy, they, they sure didn't do it on that
1: DVD. No. Patricia Heaton is just awful and everyone else involved with that show. So she's was the just she's the bad. wife on everybody loves Raymond. Yes, she's the okay. awful wife on Deborah! Loves Raymond. <laughs> That's the one.
2: <laughs> but yeah, uh now as a result, several film companies have just started whole new divisions that are mm-hmm. just marketing. Christian media such as uh Fox Faith Home Entertainment producing various different movies one on Mother Teresa another one called End of the Spear which I have no idea what that's about I imagine it's a military movie or it's um, about
1: Jesus being pierced in the side
2: We've talked about before the Left Behind video game mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. was. God, I think that was like our Shoot first episode. It was yeah. one of our very yeah.
1: first episodes. Yeah,
2: where yeah. you can actually you can you it's can a giant genocide of like well, people that
3: don't believe in. What's God. so
2: great about that <laughs> is it, it it wasn't so cool. The, the gameplay wasn't as cool if you were on the Christian side. <laughs> right. Because it you gotta kind of if you were evangelize. <laughs> you can't just go shooting everybody and let God sort them out. You gotta evangelize to it too. The so to they included guy. a mode where you could play as the
1: demons and shoot Christians. <laughs> you could upgrade to you know iron chariots. Turns out here. no one but the uh, the US military got that game. So
2: yeah <laughs> well, like I was just hoping like we could the doubtcasters could be one of the bosses you have to beat at a certain <laughs> level. I mean obviously we're not gonna be the, the last no, the final no.
4: boss. It's always more interesting playing a villain, isn't it Dave? I'm uh, saying it, always. <laughs> it's always the hero it because they're much is. more
1: interesting characters. Mm-hmm. And There's, you might get to beat up Kirk Cameron. So that's uh that's the best part.
2: But yeah, apparently the the trend continues and I, I think this is one of the most extensively marketed Christian films we've yeah. seen yet. Or <laughs> non Christian uh, right. films marketed, yeah.
1: Speaking of superheroes, it's time for our very own superhero. I'll save the podcast. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll save the podcast. Time for some God things like you.
4: As listeners know, I'm always uh, obsessed with the various implications of research on like religion and morality and secularism and morality uh, and the superman meme came up is that they were using the concept of superhero to see if it could be a prime or an activator of more moral behavior so listeners would know that like priming research it's a way to experimentally like ju- juice up temporarily at least the concepts in people's minds so often like religion you'll see this research that says reminders of god cause people to you know blah 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 Be nicer
2: or whatever. Be more moral. Show them a tombstone. They could prime feelings of death. Death priming,
4: yeah. Or
3: show – Pizza hunger.
4: But One of the things I've always argued that I always point people towards is that yes – Religion often activates more – temporarily at least more moral behavior but so do some equivalent secular concepts and it turns out that superheroes and Superman – well, actually superheroes is one of them. Uh, and There was a study done by um, Nelson and Norton back in – I think it was 2005 where they actually used the concept of in some conditions Superman himself – the of who's, who's
1: really the perfect character to use for it because he stands for truth, justice, and the American way and you, he's, you, he's the Boy Scout, right? You would
4: think so. And then more general like superhero, imagine uh, just, well, I guess the superhero of your choice. But what they're trying to show us is, is that when you, when you activate that concept, to cause people to think about that, it, it, would it make them more a moral or pro-social. Mm-hmm. So one of the things they were looking at, for example, was like willingness to forgive people or be less aggressive or engage in volunteering behavior. But interestingly, it turns out that when uh, they were asked people to think about Superman or by having them like write an essay, describe the characteristics of Superman, it actually made them less pro-social. Really? Whereas – asking them to think about the category what of superhero all people
1: i know who read comics exactly go on. <laughs> they're all
4: they're all prisoners <laughs> and criminals but asking them about the, them about the category of superhero so like what are the, describe the characteristics of a superhero made them more moral and pro social so
1: they ha- is, is, it, is it that, that – opposite effect people have a an idea of superman specifically yes that Wow. So the, the... DC and Warner Brothers, you have failed the world if people... It does have implications yeah. of things
4: like that, but here's the rationale for why that would be so opposing, and that is, is that people often engage in comparisons with, like, these category, what, what they call exemplars, or just, like, the stereotypic member of the category. Mm-hmm. But if they're too specific in a way that's idealized, that you'll never be. Sure. It actually causes mm-hmm. people to become discouraged, kind of, and say, well, I'm not like that. So that's the rational – one of the reasons possibly why reminding people of – or having them think about Superman would cause them to go, oh, he's that way. I'm never going to be that way. It's too – Dissimilar to me. Whereas with superhero, it's vague enough where you could kind of insert yourself into that category and say, mm. you know, imagine whatever qualities that are a little bit less intimidating.
1: This is the thesis mm. of my research paper in high school. Um, I did a research paper on Batman and the idea <laughs> that uh, this is true. I actually interviewed a couple of people who were writing Batman at the time. It was really awesome. You might but, be more uh, likely to
4: torture suspects or you it, know, well,
1: but the break idea their legs that, to get that information. Batman is human. Right? As opposed to Superman who we can't fly we can't stop bullets you know batman is someone who chooses to put his life on the line in order to do good so to it, some degree he has to earn his exactly. yeah, whereas uh, yeah although his greatest superpower is just being really rich but that's that's beside the point <laughs> but as opposed to True. superman we look at superman we go like well, i may i may be able to be a good person like him but i can't do the things he did, does i yeah. can't even aspire to that so it kind of makes sense
4: yeah i mean some of the things were actually kind of impressive one of the stuff in this series looked at future behavior about volunteering because it's easy to do stuff in a lab, but they wanted to ask people in a few months, we're going to come and ask you to volunteer for a program. It was like, you know, working with people and they actually measured how many people showed up to the meeting months later after simply uh, getting their intention to volunteer just by having them, you know, think about superheroes and things like that. And it turned out that 17% of the people who were primed with superheroes showed up Months later to volunteer versus only four percent of the people who were primed with Superman. Wow, which is you know statistically significant. Yeah, that's significant. Big yeah? But, but you can see it's not just effects that are just limited to the laboratory. So I think hmm. that that sort of study is interesting because uh, I refer to that kind of thing because again it can show that not only uh, re- reminders of religion I guess are not the only ones that affect people's sort of sense of morality. And that also leads to, I was looking at some other priming studies that show perfectly the dual nature of even when you do remind people of religion, it doesn't only have moral effects. I've talked on the show before about some of the non-moral, non-pro-social effects that show that religion as a concept can sort of have opposite effects on morality. And one of them is that when you remind people of concepts that are related to religion that are benevolent, so, you know, God being a nice, forgiving, you know, Friendly Jesus. You do have, it does tend to activate behavior that is benevolent. So, like, some, this is a study I was looking at by, um, the first lead author's name is Johnson. It's called Friends in High Places, which is kind of cute. But they, what they showed is that when you, they, uh, flashed, uh, pictures on the screen of that were more benign religious ones. So, you know, that famous picture painting of Jesus with the flowing hair. I forget who the with the sexy is. Jesus eyes. He's like a kind sort of benevolent Salzman was the author Salmons. Those sorts of primes caused people to be to actually be more forgiving and they uh, expressed more intentions to do things like volunteer for causes or environmental type things. But when they showed wrathful Jesus pictures or
1: what about like, suffering Jesus? Include that condition. Okay. If
4: he's suffering and pissed off, that would be wrathful. Right. Uh, but things like Michelangelo's judging Jesus, it actually mm. caused people to behave less positively.
1: <laughs> that's my favorite judge show. It's on right after Judge <laughs> Alex. <laughs> judge Jesus. It's always the same pictures. thing. Whoever
2: threw the first stone. Oh Jesus, that's your answer to everything.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know where Homer has that picture of the 3D pictures where you shift orientation and the picture shifts. Yeah. He's got one where it's like loving God. Wrathful God. <laughs> exactly,
2: God. It's just
4: like that. <laughs> because when you get, when they gave people wrathful type God things, it, pri- it made them more authoritarian basically. Hmm. They were more aggressive, yeah. they expressed fewer forgiving type intentions, and so that Sort of captures the other aspect of priming with religion is religion is composed, yes, of some benevolent components, but certain aspects of religion, as we've talked about in the show, are the opposite of positive benevolent things, and that is it makes people more authoritarian. That's what they associate with religion.
2: We should call this the gump principle. You know? Religious priming is like a box of chocolates. It's like a box
4: of chocolate. If the chocolate contains a razor blade, use. it is like a box of chocolates, I guess. And finally, the, in my priming quest, what I find is more relevant, probably to our listeners, would be even secular people have worldviews that are activated by priming. Most of the stuff you hear in the headlines is only religion, but I think the more interesting stuff is that you know, like I've talked on the show before about uh, priming with religious people, where they challenge them. But like with death, we've talked about terror management theory, mm-hmm. or when they challenge people's sense of control or orderliness or dependability, they become more religious. Turns out that with with secular people our worldviews actually function in a very similar manner. And that is uh, things if you take like science or the notion of like the, the specific Darwinian evolution, that for secular people, that is their worldview. And if you challenge their sense of control and and uh, and certainty and things like that, it causes them to – it affects their views of science and evolution as well. There was an interesting mm-hmm. study that came out a, just a couple mm-hmm. years ago. I hope I'm pronouncing this guy's name right, but it's Rutgen's – I think that's the judge pronunciation, but he has a lot of interesting stuff where um, you challenge people's sense of control by having them write essays or talk about a time in their life when they feel out of control. But what he looked at is what effect would that have on people's endorsement of the theory of evolution, as opposed to like intelligent design theory, which was you know sort of an alternative that people who want to think that there's purposefulness in it all. Usually, the thing that people freaks that freaks people out about evolution in Darwinian sense is it's rudderless it's just this shit that happens over time well, what they find us is that when you challenge people's sense of control, it pushes them away from Darwinian evolution more towards intelligent design. You actually get uh-huh. uh, even in a secular sample of people, which you would expect, wow. like you know, endorsement of intelligent design in a control conditions about you know single digits among secular people. Right. But when you challenge their sense of control, have them think about things that, in their life that are out of control, it actually gins up the intelligent design endorsement, which is interesting because it looks like that for them they sort of. Uh, that implies that people 's sense of purposefulness or orderliness is tied up with that with their theories of origins of the universe. They actually knew, know this because one of the other theories they gave people as an option to endorse was evolution, but evolution under control or a sense of order there 's a theorist actually i wasn 't familiar with him his name 's Conway Morris that has a theory of uh, evolution that says that if you would run it back again, it would turn out just the same way, almost as if it 's going towards some sort of a goal mm. that is, it's evolution, but it's not just no, you know, like uh, Stephen Jay Gould used to say, if you would rewind the tape and play it back, we wouldn't be here. We're just a fluke. Right. It seems that when you challenge people's sense of control, they actually prefer, you secular people prefer this evolution theory that has direction and purpose more, implying again that what free that even secular people are sort of freaked out by Darwinian, yeah uh non purposefulness non orderliness
2: morris's idea i think is not uh it's not teleology it's not that
1: well, that's what I it would, has a purpose. It's
2: it's more like certain design features, like yes. legs or bilateral symmetry, only so many and ways some that other that things, things are just way more efficient than any other designs you could come up with. Mm-hmm. And so, random evolution would find these things eventually. Yes, he's not
4: applying an external like, agent. Look at how many evolution.
2: times independently wings and eyes and yep. other things have evolved. You know, completely independently on different branches of the tree. But still, it does give this idea: like, hey, you know, th- this was meant to be. This had to be this way,
4: yeah the people um, even secular people they don't need necessarily external control, but the point of this was that they look like on some level that they want scientific processes to give a sense of like you said you know that that it's there are certain rules that apply it's not yeah. just anything could happen, you wouldn't right. be here anymore, there is no purpose whatever to anything or you know a sense of control and so what they what the study was interesting because what it shows is that and there's other ones too that are that have similar effects where people's Views about science, even atheists or secular people secular humanists, their views about science are like that of a religious worldview i 'm not saying that they're entirely oh, like dogmatic oh, yeah.
1: we're going to get ourselves in so much trouble yeah
4: though. it's not but it's not faith based <laughs> in the sense that they're impervious, but mm-hmm. they show the same in the psychological studies they show the same effect when you when you do threats to their like for example there's terror management studies right. when you scare yeah. people with their own mortality. Atheist people uh, get more scientific. They endorse evolution yeah. more.
2: Well, which which is showing it's it's not always any of the content of the worldview itself. Yeah. It's nice. the, it's the fact that a worldview brings comfort and that and that's a that's human some sense thing. To, yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean the flip side for our crowd to understand is if we start pulling out Freud on people and saying, oh, you just cling to your beliefs because you're afraid. Well, truth is, we kind of do too. <laughs> we bring some stability to our mental lives by thinking we have it understood.
4: I think and you see that often. I catch myself doing that with things like my scientific heroes. And I. it's not that I think that they're sacred, but I do get kind of misty-eyed when I think about, you know, Carl Sagan or Charles Darwin or some of the theories that, that, mm-hmm. to, that those are some of the things that make my life Meaningful, a sense of control, Mm -hmm. a sense of orderliness. It's not, uh, you know, I I would argue that maybe it's not the same like faith-based element because I would say, well, you know, he could be wrong about this and this and that. But just the general effect of they they sort of structure my, my worldview.
2: I notice that sometimes when I get frustrated, I plop down on the couch and I take out the iPad and I turn on the astronomy picture of the day.
4: It puts it in <laughs> Like when I'm really – yeah, yeah. If a quasar it's so just wiped out a whole galaxy, you don't owe that – you don't have to pay your bills this much. It's
2: anymore. so weird because it sounds so hopeless and bleak. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, Most people clutch their crosses or something like, he's going to get me through. But I look at a bunch of – lifeless inert dust and <laughs> gas and go and go oh, oh, ha that feels be okay. better
1: <laughs> it's it's
2: better than prayer it's ultimately meaningless at least yeah. my shit is real <laughs> <laughs> there's something fantastic about the idea that our, we are so fit to this cosmos that we're in that that it's intelligible it's understandable and and yeah that is i think that's been a source of a lot of secular spirituality if you're allowed to use that word
4: yeah. So I guess the take-home message there with is, that, um, is that watch uh, watch your own – I would encourage people to watch their own your own worldviews and maybe under – when you have stress in your life or feel a sense of like lack of certainty, you're out of control, do you tend to also get a little bit more defensive about defending the specifics of your worldview?
2: And to be honest, I sometimes wonder if us atheists turn to our counter apologetics sometimes for a little bit of comfort too. An extra disproof of God a day helps keep the secular anxiety away. I don't know if that's the case. But regardless, John Loftus is here today, author of the Debunking Christianity blog and several other books that you may be familiar with. He's going to talk to us about his latest book, The Outsider Test for Faith. Hide your faith from the light of reason.
4: It's now time for Counter-Apologetics.
2: With us on the show today is John Loftus. John Loftus is the author of Why I Became an Atheist, The Christian Delusion, The End of Christianity, and more recently, The Outsider Test for Faith and God or Godless. And he joins us on Reasonable Doubts today. Thanks for joining us, John Loftus. Yeah, it's
0: an honor to be here. Thanks for inviting me. What got
2: you involved in the skeptical movement uh challenging apologists and that sort of thing
0: knowledge <laughs> <laughs> I, I have amassed a, a, an amount of it a certain mm-hmm. amount of it having uh, you know earned a few master's degrees and phd studies and um, my studies led me uh, away from my faith and so then uh, well, what am i supposed to do with what i've learned you know should i just chuck it all and you know live life well i actually did for about six years and then uh, I decided to get, uh, you know, well, not waste it and uh, share it, you know, because, you know, whatever for whatever it's worth, I might as well do that. <laughs>
2: right. Yeah, listeners who are familiar with your work uh, already know that uh, you were once a student of the apologist William Lane Craig. I was, yes, yes. So kind of, uh, kind of in the inner heart of apologetics, you really learned things from from Christians themselves, from Christian apologists. You're not just an outsider looking in. Uh, one of your more recent books, The Outsider Test for Faith, can you go over the basic argument in The Outsider Test for Faith?
0: Yes, I can. I've changed the, the focus of The Outsider Test for Faith when I wrote the book uh, on it. Because <clears throat> prior to that, I was using it as an argument to uh, show that you know Christianity in particular – is a delusion and false, right? Mm-hmm. And then I realized, well, you know what? Just present it as a test. Just just present a test first. Um, make your arguments based on a test. You know, mm-hmm. later on in the book, and see if people can't challenge the test. You know, itself. Mm-hmm. And the test is basically to for, for a religious believer, and and I could just express this in terms of uh, for a non-believer as well. But for a religious believer to test their own inherited faith with the same informed skepticism they use to test the religions that they reject. I mean it's really simple. I mean it's mm-hmm. it's um, it basically calls upon them to to uh, note double standards, you know, whatever you you whatever you use to think one religion is false, use that same standard to investigate your own faith, it's it's um, it's something they already do. So let's see uh, if they can find anything faulty or unfair with it. And if they can't, then they should subject their te- uh, their own faith to that test and see where it, you know what it gets them. And I argue in the later parts of the book that it doesn't get them anything.
2: <laughs> like a practical application of this test, I'm I'm assuming might be something like if typically a believer would think that miracle stories. Were convincing to them that helped them to believe in Christianity. Then, what about the miracle stories of other religions? Right. If they don't accept Muslim miracles or Hindu miracles, um, then they need to disregard Christian miracles as evidence.
0: They have to use the same evidentiary standards. If they say there's no evidence that you know Muhammad flew through the night, you you know, and saw the uh, celestial realms. And um, then they should ask themselves: Well, just because our document, you know, our sacred text says something, provides the same amount of evidence as their document, and to ask themselves whether they would believe that if they were outsiders, or if they were non-believers, the document itself has a, is a certain amount of evidence. But when they, when the document goes on to say, well, others believed it, like for instance, take uh, Balaam's ass. Uh, talking. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it, it's a myth, but you, you have to get there. And to get there, you just ask, have to ask yourself, well, <clears throat> it's not just that it's claimed Balin's ass spoke. It, it was written by someone mm-hmm. who believed it. See? Right. It was written down by, I mean, if it's not, myth, I mean, we're going to take that as faith's value. Someone wrote it down and actually believed that took place. Now you have to ask yourself now, <clears throat> upon what basis would someone else who wasn't there believe the story? Uh, you, you just have to think about that. I mean not being there and yet believing it, it would be a good grounds to say, well, you know what? I need to investigate that for myself, but I can't because I'm separated by history. Mm-hmm. So you have to say to yourself, well, no, I, I really can't believe that. I mean I would want to see Balin's ass uh, talk uh, myself, and that's not an unreasonable request.
2: The test is not really begging the question for atheism. It's not te- asking somebody adopt position of uh, an atheist, just that they be, as you said, consistent with all their standards of evidence.
0: Right. And and of course, that's why I'm an atheist. You know, I think that, uh, you know, I've rejected a lot of cults and a lot of world religions, you know, as uh, lacking in evidence. And then I just basically turned that same standard in on my own faith. And I found that, you know, um, I was believing because I was raised to believe. And uh, that's just no... That's not a good way to uh, to come to a knowledge claim, because mm-hmm. and because precisely because everybody around the globe is raised to believe, you know, mm-hmm. in certain things. You know, you just uh, Mama told me this, and so, uh, you know, I believe it, and that's how that works. It doesn't even really matter. If the original disciples had good reasons to believe. I mean, it doesn't really matter if they had good reasons to believe. There was, it doesn't matter if there was really good evidence for them to believe Jesus was raised from dead, because all we have are those documents. See, all we have is their testimony. I mean, aliens might have abducted someone too. They might have had a personal experience of being abducted, which if I had, I might believe as well. But I have no reason to believe Without evidence, you see, just like right. I have no reason to believe Balaam's ass spoke without more, with, without more than just testimony. Mm-hmm. And when I go back and I look at the uh, the ancient world and, and even in the, the biblical text, uh, I find a lot of superstitions in, in the text themselves. That's what I did in uh, my book Why I Became an Atheist. Uh, one of my longest chapters is the is about the superstitious world of the Bible. I mean, just you know, you have to read it to see it. I mean, you know, take Jonah's tale. Mm-hmm. Um, Here is a world where, when uh, when you had a thunderstorm, they 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 thought the gods were upset. Well, which gods? So let's cast lots. Well, it's on you. So you must be the culprit. Who, in their right mind, in today's world, <laughs> would think that that's a sound methodology? Would do any of that? And you know, just I, I just started reading the Bible like that, and and um, you've got to read that chapter to uh, to see it for itself. Because uh, given that we can we can know that th- there's a lot of superstition believed by the By the writers of the the Bible um, themselves, then I have every reason to wonder. Just because someone says something like, you know, someone rose from dead or Balaam's ass talked, I have additional good reasons not to think that uh, that actually happened.
2: I've often I've often thought that every time uh, a Christian targets another religion for critique. They're kind of building a blueprint as to uh, how they could critique their own faith, <laughs> and, it, and it and it seems that your you know <clears throat> your test is based on on that on that insight. Um, I know at least when I was a when I was a believer, I was worried about things like that. I was cognizant that, for example, I would say that I felt the inner testimony of the Spirit. I could feel God moving in my life, but I was aware that there were others who believed in different gods or different theologies than my own. Who had those same feelings, and it created a little bit of tension in my mind. Uh, I'm wondering then, is your test well received by apologists and by Christians? Do they <clears throat> think that's a, a kind of fair standard to place on well, themselves? It's
0: mixed. It's mm-hmm. mixed. You know, G.K. Chesterton, in his book The Everla- Everlasting Man, he uh, he actually proposed something like it before me and said that uh, you know his Christian faith passes that test. Uh, and uh, David Marshall. An an apologist, he he has mixed thoughts on it, and he thinks that um, there's you know you can beef it up if you will, or or tear it down. I think he basically tear it down a little bit, but he sort of accepts it. And he, you know, he thinks that one indicator that Christianity is is passing the outsider test for faith is because of its success, and uh, that's a miserable standard. Oh yeah, oh yeah. (laughs) It's
2: success in recruiting followers, or. (laughs) Yeah, what but, kind of success? but,
0: but, yeah, 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 because Christianity is growing or has grown or has survived. Therefore it's passing, you know, because non-believers are being converted and non-believers would be anyone who didn't believe in Christianity. That would include, you know, tribal religions, I mean, uh, or, you know, Jewish people or, um, you know, I mean, people are being converted to Christianity. So he says, therefore, it's passing the test. (laughs) Presumably he doesn't think that Islam is passing the same test. (laughs) Bingo! Yeah, (laughs) because Christianity ekes out a few more numbers than
2: Islam, (laughs) it's the
0: true one. Mormonism is passing the test, too. Truth by popularity. So what we have to do is we have to ask ourselves whether they are reasonably passing the test. Mm -hmm. And we have to ask ourselves, well, what is there about the human mind that would, um, you know, not make reasonable judgments? And Mm -hmm. there's plenty of psychological studies that show that we, we do believe what we prefer to believe. We are influenced by others and and significant others. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't, what I want to know is to know whether they're reasonably, reasonably passing the test. Let's do this. Let's give them a Bible and give them one of the best critiques of Christianity and say, here, potential convert. Read, investigate, and study for yourself, but they just don't do that. They usually do it in an emotional tent meeting, or, right. not usual, but you know, that, or, or they're raised that, that way, or they have a dramatic conversion in a Christian culture that's, uh, w- that we liter- literally swim, you know, in, in Christianity. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, like what you're proposing with the uh, Outsider Test for Faith, in a lot of ways, runs Contrary to just the way humans work, right? You know, it's informing you of your confirmation bias and that this is something that is not very conducive to truth.
0: (laughs) So trying to get them to realize... It's a difficult thing to be able to be honest with yourself, to take something like the It really is. And I understand that. I understand that. and I get a lot of pushback. Mm -hmm. Um,
3: Yeah, but it's a good challenge, obviously. Yeah. Uh, And and anyone concerned with truth should should
0: embrace it. I think the bottom line is they... uh, Believers fear. They, they they don't know what life would be like if there wasn't, uh, you know, a divine authority for, for morality. I mean, that really comes up a lot.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: And I, you know, I just, uh, those of us on the other side, you know, we have to make decisions on our own now. I mean, there is no God to tell us. And, and um, my conclusion, of course, is that there was no God to tell them. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, you know, I mean, as we look into the Bible, we we don't find this perfectly good lawmaker. You know, in fact, we see some of those laws borrowed from the Code of Hammurabi, which is a Mesopotam- Mesopotamian uh, king, and we, we see some of those laws right out of there. So, right, yeah. You know, I
3: always like pointing out when someone brings up the uh, the moral argument, right, that God is the grounding of all good. I always like to point out passages like uh, in Genesis eighteen where. God has a particular plan that He wants to carry out, but then Abraham reminds him that actually you know the, the creator of the world should should do what is right, and god 's like okay you 're right." I'll do something else. So clearly God isn't necessarily good. Clearly there's some kind
0: of, and at I, least biblically, there's a good standard outside of God. That's a good point. It reminds me of, appeals too. It's a good point. It reminds me of Moses where he negotiated with God, well, don't kill all the Israelites. Exactly.
3: Even. That's another one. Yeah. And, um, and he, well, was he it says, it? okay, but out of pure um, uh, saving his reputation, it seems like.
2: <laughs> so the outsider test seems like a basic exercise in intellectual fairness, intellectual integrity. I find it hard to believe that anybody could reject that as an approach. But you have had some pushback. You have had some people who uh, feel that um, insider tests for faith, I suppose, are good enough. Uh, wh- how do they challenge your, your idea?
0: What oh, are some of the objections? Well, one of them is, <clears throat> well, atheists have to take the test too for their faith. Well, Which or, you're not or, denying. Or, or, right. Or their religion you know they you know, cuz they will say atheism religion Well, i just kind of wave that off you know i you know if um atheism cannot be a religion because a religion has to include at least one phrase and whatever you define it as and that is the belief in supernatural beings and or forces and so uh, first i dismissed that i mean you know i i know i don't believe in that you know but uh, no i'm not denying that i think that atheists uh, should Judge all claims to religious faith equally as well. I mean, mm-hmm. atheism can be conceived of as the um, position of last resort. I mean, it just simply says, "I don't believe any of them," mm-hmm. and so um, to, to, to judge them all, they should uh, they should be they should do likewise and be fairness, uh, you know, in all fairness. And fairness means, uh, you know, some of the standards that we accept from from science. <clears throat> I think science is the. Uh, is a, the way that this the outsider test pushes people because you know if we are so prone to accept whatever our culture tells us, and if we prefer to believe what we like to believe, and we we defend it at all costs, and even counter-evidence evidence can be dismissed out of hand by faith, then the only way to test your faith is is through objective evidence, through uh, scientific evidence, if uh, you know if that's available, historical evidence. I mean, not not some psychic who says, well, you know, um, I have this properly basic belief that. Um, You know, the Virgin Mary had a baby. You know, and uh, no, the only way you can the only way you can come to that conclusion is by doing a historical analysis. That's just um, almost crazy to me. You know, Mm -hmm.
2: I've heard the objection that, for example, in areas within Asia, you have mass Christian converts, uh, and they're converting to Christianity, but that is not the dominant religion of their culture. That's not what they were all raised with. I think it was even Plantinga who made this argument, said, well, then in that case, do they already pass the outsider test for faith? Because they didn't just accept all these beliefs because their parents taught them or something else. They've been evaluating
0: them. Philip Jenkins has a book called The New Face of Christianity. Mm -hmm. It's really, really good. And in it, he shows why people in in African uh, countries – are embracing Christianity, and that's because, and uh, you need to read the book to, to see for sh- for sure that they share a fundamental outlook with the biblical authors. They, they share a, a same social economic status in some places. They they share the same. I mean, for instance, they already believe in demons. Those ideas are really already—they're not—they're
3: not a big leap for them. No, they're
0: not at all. And they, you know, they believe in miracles. They—they'll do an incantation, for instance, and uh, someone will be healed. Well, then someone says, "Well, Jesus can to, to you know heal you too." In fact, we find some people in the New Testament. Simon, I think it was, he could heal in the name of Jesus. You know, okay. I mean, it's what it says anyway. And uh, so, yeah, it's not that far removed from you know their. Their yeah. present beliefs, really. And the missionaries
2: are playing to that. They're looking for whatever elements right. in the mm-hmm. culture right. would prime them for Christian ideas and, and exploit those.
0: So what I want to know is whether they're adopting Christianity reasonably. Mm-hmm. And, right. and uh, that's why I describe it, informed uh, skepticism and and then inf- you have to first start with an informed skepticism and and the informed skepticism that I write about is is someone who is informed about the true religious na- diversity of our globe I mean first you mm-hmm. have to be informed let 's yeah. take a look at that and you have to also be informed uh, about uh, what psychology has shown us about the human mind and how that we are so prone to believe what we what we want to believe I mean mm-hmm. they have to be informed about that, and they also have to be informed about um, Neurology and how that, uh, the brain is a belief engine. And for that, I would just recommend Michael Shermer's book, The Believing Brain, I think is okay. what it is. Um, because we're, we're prone to see agencies w- in uh, random events. I mean, you see the Virgin Mary in a tree, tr- yeah, tree right, truck or, uh, or, 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 or a tortilla <laughs> or something. They yeah. used to see the, th- uh, a man on the moon. I mean, we we tend to see that thing, you know. I, like, I did
3: see a uh, uh, internet meme going around, uh, w- which is the rear end of a dog that looks uh, <laughs>
0: suspiciously <laughs> like Jesus.
2: Odd that there aren't pilgrims lining up to see the dog's bottom. So, so those
0: three things, you know, you, they have to be informed about those things, and then let's see them make their choice. You know, I mean, based on right. those. So first off, it's based on an informed skepticism. So um, I don't think that uh, you know with that their faith uh, their change from you know African tribal religion to Christianity would be informed based on an informed one. So uh, since that's not informed, it wouldn't pass the outsider test for faith, even though they adopt it.
3: Right, and of course, to a religion that posits a kind of inherent God awareness, uh, the kind of geographical distribution that we see in the world doesn't particularly fit well with that kind of thing. Right. Uh, it's, it's pretty strong evidence against that kind of thing, as, as Stephen Mateson points out.
2: Yeah, I've, I've always liked that Right, I like, if, I like his articles. If, yeah, we, yeah. Uh, if, we have, uh, if we have the word of God written on our hearts – Right? Why? Why do the demographics? <laughs> why do
3: the, gra- why the demographics give exactly what we would predict if we get our beliefs right. from our parents? right? Yeah, right. Ex- exactly
0: right. And they have to explain that away. And it's interesting to say to see them explain it away. Well, these other—I mean—just think about these explanations. They're either stupid, you know, they, they don't, or they haven't heard yet, and th- that could be an explanation, I suppose. Um, not ter- not, well, not, 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 a, not a good one, but <laughs> it's an explanation in the worst possible. Well, sense. Actually, actually, it wouldn't be a good explanation. Because if they say God's written it, written it on our hearts, you wouldn't have to hear anything, right? Okay. Well, anyway, true. exactly. Um, and uh, so, um, yeah, they just, um, you know, that just doesn't just doesn't cut it when you're looking for sufficient objective evidence. You know, mm-hmm. the, I call that being a psychic. You know, you you're, you're trying to discern the mind of God. But a study done that was published in Discovery Magazine shows that on unrelated topics, people who believe. They all think that God agrees with them about everything, oh, not yeah. just religion, not just religion, politics. but politics, Absolutely. morals, because uh, they did uh, two different interviews. And one was, you know, what are your beliefs in the next interview separated by some time? Right. What do you think, uh, you know, is God's position on these things? Yeah. And they yeah. matched Perfectly. Yeah, they, Every we, single person. We discuss our, a lot of that yeah, on the show.
2: That's why our psychology segment on the show is called God Thinks Like You. Because that <laughs> seems, to be, seems to be the the consistent finding is uh, everybody's God is. There
0: are as many different versions of God as there are believers in him. Yeah. Yeah. And so people, Christians in particular, they, they create their own God in their own image with their own gospel. I mean that's, that's, that's what they do. They don't know they're doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everybody else is wrong, and they're certain they're right. A lot of them. A lot of. I mean, them feel that's what that happens when a lot of your belief forming is
3: is going to be based on intuition rather than psychic you know, ability, some kind <laughs> of objective methodology of right. some sort.
2: And, and I think that's part of the genius of the outsider test for faith is if they are, it 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 seems inherently they need to examine other religions then, and being exposed then to the doctrines and the theologies and narratives of these other religions, right, that's going to broaden – their headspace a little bit, yeah. hopefully give them, uh, create a little bit of cognitive dissonance right
0: there. So they have to be informed about those things.
2: Yeah. It's, it's enlightening for everybody to encounter people who hold different perspectives than them. And, uh, which brings me to my next question. You've been, uh, you've been touring with a Christian apologist promoting uh, a new book, God or Godless. I have, I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody that our listeners will be familiar with, Randall Rouser, who we've had on the show once and mm-hmm. have, critiqued his arguments, I think,
0: uh, um, a couple of times. Tell us about that tour. How did it start? Well, it was wonderful. I mean, Randall invited me to co-write a, the book, God or Goddess, about a couple, three years ago. And so we wrote uh, three chapters. We put it off to a uh, publicity agent, and uh, it took her about a year to get a contract, a major contract with Baker Books. Nice. Cool.
2: Yep. Christian book publisher yep. based right here in Grand
0: Rapids. yeah yep. And uh, so then when we got the contract in hand, we finished out the rest of the, of the chapters, the 20 short chapters, and we wanted to keep it in, in bite-sized increments. But we also have footnotes and uh, quite an extensive bibliography for further reading. And uh, so, uh, yeah, we, we co-wrote that book. It came out um, what, in April, I think. And I think it's a pretty good book. And uh, yes, I think I trashed him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to say that it's all—it's all, no, it's all in good fun. I noticed that the reviews on Amazon. I mean, some of them. I mean, it's interesting, one way or the other. Like uh, a Christian will say, you know, "Yeah, it's
3: either one star it, or five. For, so, so actually, <laughs>
0: polarized, pretty much. So actually, that makes it for a good book. I mean, when you think about it, when yeah. you think about it, the, the Christians are saying he did a good job, and yeah. you know, most of the skeptics are saying you that. You got to right? wonder though, how many of those, how many of the people that are dogging on the book have actually read it? You
3: know. Well, Oh, you never know but um. Um, but yeah, I really like the the format of it It's kind of like a, you know a, a a good number of kind of mini debates on particular subjects so uh, throughout the book you guys debate um, one of the chapters is you know science is no substitute for religion right so you know presumably you're talking about you know
0: what the best way to learn about the world is and uh, I find that Christian apologists will have to denigrate or deny science somewhere along the line to believe. I mean, I don't understand Not Randall necessarily in, in such a degree as others. Okay. Right. Uh, but because yeah, I think he's closer to the truth. I've said that online, you know, um, he's closer to the truth, but the liberals are more close You know, to the truth and the agnostics are closer to the truth, but a- atheists have it nailed, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just having fun there. But um, yeah, somewhere along the line, they have to say, well, you know, Faith is has a, a method just like science, or or we worship God, you worship science. That's what he said in that chapter. Right. Yeah, on what chapter
3: thirteen? Everybody has faith, right? That's presumably what he's going after. You know that there's all these kinds of uh, you know beliefs we hold that maybe don't have have evidence or something. But and other topics you discuss are uh, you know biblical slavery. You discuss the. Whether or not God actually condones it or not, and you know whether God is ignorant of the future—just a lot of like really interesting topics that are that are common topics in these kinds of debates. Right, right.
0: So, really interesting. I wonder uh, how well did you guys get along on this on this uh, debate? um, uh, Wonderfully, wonderfully. I mean, he's a great guy. I mean, I consider him a friend. I mean, we have some words online, uh, probably more from me than to him. He's—I've been debating. Christians online for seven years on a daily basis, and you know, at some point I get a little jaded. It's mm-hmm. like if you read back, when I first started my blog, um, I got blasted by some Christians, but then they somehow um, subsided. And then for probably two or three years, I was quite respectful, you, you know, usually mm-hmm. of Christian beliefs, and, and I tried to attract the best and you know, Christian apologists. To the site, and I, right. and I got them, and they they commented, and it was quite a respectful kind of a debate. But then, you know, the longer I debated them, the, the, the more jaded I got. I mean, it, you know, I, I, you know, especially when I came out with the, the book, uh, the Christian delusion. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's a delusion, and by delusion, I'm not saying they have a mental sickness. I'm saying that they believe, in spite of the overwhelming evidence. You know, okay. so uh, yeah, I, I've gotten a little bit uh, jaded, but uh, yeah, the tour it was great. You know, it was just it, it was just wonderful, great time. That's excellent to
3: hear. Yeah, it's always nice to uh, to see people uh, of of you know just diametrically opposed views uh, able to see each other as people rather than opponents. You know, that's always a, an encouraging right. thing and something that I think should serve as a model for other interactions.
0: Well, I give you an example. We uh, drove around together from. Um, well, we started in Calgary, went up to Red Deer, and then we debated at Red Deer, and then we drove up to Edmonton all on the same day. And, mm. and then when we were up in Edmonton, we had a, a day, so Randall and I went to the mall together. He's a great mall up there, wonderful. I think they say it's the largest one. In the world, I mean, I could tell you about them all, but that's uh, irrelevant. I'm picturing you guys like trying on shirts and being like, this look really bad? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, <laughs> what I wanted to say is that uh, along the way, and David Williams is the president of the seminary was, uh, was there and he was driving. And we had a wonderful conversation talk. And when we came up to a discussion that uh, Randall thought would be good for a podcast, he brought out his little digital recorder and, oh, and he okay. said, okay, uh, he said, well, first he said, this is a good topic. Let's record it. So, so you're recording on the road. Yeah, yeah. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so he would start out by saying, mm-hmm. okay, Loftus is now in the fetal position having been destroyed by our, <laughs> my arguments. Crying and, in the corner. And, yeah, right. And all I could do was just, you know, play along and say, ouch, <laughs> <He> <laughs> let me out, you know. So, yeah, we had a great time. Then, we, of course, at that point, we you know, we debated whatever the issue was. Mm-hmm. But uh, he ca- it kind of got annoying. But it was funny at the same time. That's He'd, funny. This is a topic for a podcast. He bring that digital recorder out and put it right in my mouth. <laughs> oh, what do you think about this? But quite quite respectful. Quite, quite uh, polite. Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Some
2: prominent atheists have refused to debate apologists on the grounds that it only legitimizes their position by. Putting them at the podium with this prominent person, making it seem like there's a real serious debate here, and uh, I kind of like the
3: creationism evolution kind yeah, of
2: debate, you know. But I've heard you take the opposite stance. I, uh, you were, we were talking about this over dinner last night, and I thought you made a, a really good point uh, about why you engage in these debates.
0: Well, first off, uh, I I don't really – I mean I don't claim to be scientifically informed as much as, say, Jerry Coyne or Richard Mm -hmm. Dawkins or P.Z. Myers. I mean I – couldn't hold a candle to them. And so if it were to come, you know, for me to debate creationism, you know, I, I don't think I could do as well as, as somebody of their stature. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't do that, you know, that particular issue with, right. with, yeah. with the best of the Christian apologists. William Dembski, you know, I would have to do a lot of research and <clears throat> I might not look too good for the atheist side. And so I respect their, their, them not debating creationists I, I, right, I, I right. first off I want to say I respect that they don't and That's a lot of okay. times the That's debate okay. format is just
3: a terrible format for something like right. a, a, you know a scientific issue like yeah that. some people just don't
0: like debates you know yeah. and they, they don't think that <clears throat> but I I do um, first off because I want to I, I want to help Christians know that if I take on the best that Christianity has to offer and I do a good job, then they can see, perhaps that even their best people don't mm-hmm. do a good job. And mm-hmm. it's mainly in the areas of philosophy and, and theology and, and, and biblical uh, studies that, you know, those things that, uh, and so, uh, yeah, I, um, I'll i do that. I think that it's worthwhile because I think atheists always win debates. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, in, of those kind. They produce a doubt. To be published in Baker Books, I think several reviewers of God or goddess have said that that uh, that Baker's Baker Books has done a, a good service because all of a sudden, rather than reading an apologetic book by a, a Christian intellectual uh, debating us, now Christians get to hear us, you know, in our own words. You know, mm-hmm. that's good because whatever someone goes away with after reading the book, they will, I think, hear some things they've never heard before. I, I really think so. You know, from our side, mm-hmm. because I think there's a massive amount of ignorance on on uh, Christians you know about what atheists think and uh, I think I you know I hope I did that justice um but atheists win in in another sense because <clears throat> whenever you debate a, a Christian whenever it's a pro, I mean a prominent debate like one on one debate or even in a book of this nature they're introducing their readership or their fan base to a, a minority voice that would have been squelched, you know, mm-hmm. all right. You know, er, in earlier times, or even you know, killed, you know. So all of a sudden, here's John Loftus, and um, I'm I'm Randall Rouser, and um, you respect me because I have a PhD and I'm teaching at Taylor Seminary. Now here's this guy named John Loftus. Well, who is he? Well, let's read him and so um, see what you know what comes of that. Now there's one review in uh, on Amazon uh, in Canada by a guy who says after reading God or Godless, I want to read everything that, uh, that uh, John Loftus has written. So oh, you know, There you go. I mean that kind of thing, that <laughs> yeah. kind of thing, that kind I of thing so. can happen. But atheists win because uh, Christians are introducing them to their fan base. You uh, could be said though, in, in the reverse that uh, Christianity wins in debates because they're introducing their skeptical friends yeah. to, to the, the, the Christian apologists. But I don't think that skeptics, especially former believers, usually go back yeah. at all. Yeah.
2: And that's the point is get out there. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter if you <coughs> obliterate your opponent or persuade everybody in the room. Just getting out these skeptical arguments so that people can hear them and begin to ponder them is, uh, is a major victory for what we're doing. Well, thank you so much for the work that you do to advance skepticism and critical thinking. And thank you, John Loftus, for joining us on Reasonable Doubts.
0: Well, thank you. I'd like to say it's an honor being here.
1: We turn now to our shit list where we heap scorn on those who deserve it. And today we're heading to Russia. Luke, how did the Russians make it onto our shit list this time?
4: I'd like to say it was because of Pussy Riot, but uh, that's actually not trending in the news uh, recently. Are are they still in prison? Some of
2: them are, yeah. Yeah, some of them are. Are, uh, Okay, so for our listeners who don't know what Pussy Riot is, do (laughs) people not know what Pussy Riot is? Sure sounds like a lot
1: of fun. Uh, Pussy Riot was a a group there. It's a a band or or group of performance artists or whatever that's, um, in Russia at a church, right? One of their protests was to
4: do a music video thing or a music performance in. They did it, they busted open on, in the altar area of an Orthodox church. Yes. And they were satirizing sort of or, or putting, putting down the connection between Putin and the, Patriarchs of the church yes. as being too cozy that the church mm-hmm. and the state there, and so they got you know they were charged with something like insulting the faith or, yeah. or you know the government, and and they got sent to prison. And some of the members got sent to
1: yep. prison. Some of them are are there and have been there for a while, and they they got really pretty lengthy sentences for considering what. They actually did, which was props to Pussy Riot. Yeah, well, a, a year or two late. Yeah, but. so
4: Russia actually—it's interesting because they, they've—it almost follows this this uh, an increasing pattern, this trajectory of increasing authoritarianism of Putin with the increasing reliance on the church to. Yeah. To you know, nail down the populace.
1: It's the exact thing Pussy Riot was protesting.
4: Yeah, so now we have the. Uh, there's a bill apparently up in the Russian the Duma, the lower house of the par- the parliament, or as I say, the dumbass Duma. Uh, they um, are looking at anti-gay bill, mm-hmm. which is strange because it would forbid anybody who uh, exposes kids or like propagandizes non the languages. Uh, banning the propaganda of non-traditional sexual relations. So basically, is if you expose people or kids to gay propaganda, I'm making air quotes. Yeah. here.
1: this isn't even so. Like, no, Heather has two mommies books and no, that nope. sort of. thing. Mm-hmm. This, is, this isn't even a criminalizing homosexuality. This is criminalizing yeah. talk, talking to children it. about How homosexuality. Do you, it's
4: homosexuality is not illegal, which is interesting. So right. they're making illegal dis, uh, discussing openly something that is legal. Hmm. So, it's it's actually they, um, it, it's some people were, are wondering how this would be enforceable maybe or how it, like, it's very broad in its right. scope.
1: Ricin, that's how it's enforced. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and according to the, uh, article on it from NPR, they're saying that, um, Russian legal experts are saying that, um, quote, the courts would likely rule against the legislation because it violates russians constitution's uh ban on discrimination uh even so it goes on authorities could use it to harass specific organizations or visitors from abroad such as Ma- madonna who spoke in favor of gay rights during a concert in st petersburg last year end quote so it, it, it could be used as a bully stick um it would be difficult to um prosecute people uh under this law but it would certainly be something that uh, could cause problems.
4: It's not just this. But there's, every time there's like a gay rights march or a protest or mm-hmm. things like that, you get these thugs coming out of the woodwork that are – it's very easy to drum up a sort of the uh, uh, right-wing people with – that are mixed in with the church members and religion. You also see this not only in Russia but in some of the other eastern countries like Georgia which is a former Soviet republic. Mm-hmm. In Tbilisi, Georgia there was a, um, I think it was in May, was it, earlier this year, there was a march, a gay march that ended precipitously when they were attacked by a mob of people that mm-hmm. were ginned, that was gymmed up by the Georgian Orthodox Church. Huh. And you can yep. see the video on YouTube where the priests are leading the stone throwing mm-hmm. mob that attacked the protesters, sort of, the cops tried to get them on a bus and get them the hell out of there. And there's this huge mob that attacks the bus and there were priests like hurling rocks yeah. wow. uh, at the bus. And they were, you know, and saying things like the, you know, they're, they're attacking our values and blah, blah, blah. Right. And so again, you see that, that in these right wing movements in a lot of these countries, the, the uh you know I guess neo-nazi or that the, the nationalist type thugs go hand in glove yeah. with the orthodox church
2: mm-hmm. the, the, and they're popping up in places you'd never expect I, this is I, I don't know if we can blame the orthodox on this, but I was listening just the other day about how reactionary Turkey's president is and all the protests going on over there. And Turkey yeah.
1: had made some some decent strides for a while. There. They were
2: always the most secular and yeah. fun-loving of the Muslim well, of nations. Of the Muslim world, yeah. And uh, yeah, they're talking about banning alcohol and other things yeah. like that. Now it's it's getting – it's getting weird. Well, even – Greece, Greece. is. Greece, well, I mean yeah, we know the problems they're, there. They're, but, the
4: Golden Dawn is their like fascist movement there. Yep.
2: Their um, neo-Nazi party has several seats and uh, mm-hmm. that, that's
1: bizarre. You just – well, can't imagine it, it's that. It's hard to imagine a, a neo-Nazi getting elected in the United States. Um, it just doesn't well, – Well, they well, wouldn't I mean, call themselves neo Well, exactly. Someone representing the neo-Nazi party any more than someone representing the communist party. But uh, – uh, we've got plenty of, of bad seeds out there, but well, I think in the
4: general principle here is when economic times are hard, you see these people just like in Europe in the 30s, you mm-hmm. see these people coming out of the world, yeah. woodwork, combining, you know, traditional values with thing, and using religion to, to gin up the traditional people. Like even in France, this I'm not comparing this necessarily with the violence because it wasn't a violent, but the anti-gay protest march in france had hundreds of thousands of people they and they were sort of from the countryside there's yeah. a lot of even though the church is secularized in france and and there's a lot of you know non-religious but people, it was
1: amazing how they turned out there was
4: large numbers of people that you don't really see on the news because they're from rural
1: areas mm-hmm. they're yeah. often are people it's, that, you know, not, it's not it's not the citizens of paris it's that were it's coming a general out. rule in
2: french history that when people start coming in from the countryside it's Bad news.
1: Well, yes. That's – yeah. And and the French do love a good protest. And when they protest, it's often very colorful.
4: Yeah, and, and this was in Spain too, the main yeah. opposition to – so in all these countries that even though – I guess the lesson is even though they might seem secular – and you still hear people that say like, oh, look at Russia, the communist or atheist. Dude, they were just they, the church just went underground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, the people didn't become less religious when the Soviet Union was they, you know, they're just less open communist. about it. Yeah, and so now what you see is that they're they're aligning themselves with you know the former people. It just fits right back into again to conservative, you know, traditional values that border on the fascistic.
1: Mm. You know, I, I was just. Thinking, I just this past weekend, uh, my wife and I brought the girls down to West Michigan Pride, and I'm thinking, under this Russian law, we'd be going to oh, prison. Oh, you would be the first one to lose
4: your yacht. family. I think.
1: Yeah, we would be in trouble. Yeah, um, wow. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a scary idea, and again, it would be a tough law to actually um, enact. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> just the idea that there are, that it has a chance is uh, certainly worthy of the shit list. And now let's end with some polyatheism. The Greek gods and goddesses are a beautiful bunch of people. Chiseled, statuesque, physically perfect men and women like a Targaryen family reunion. (laughs) (laughs) it's a Game of Thrones Thrones reference. Uh, Even the older men of the group are built like, well... What they lack in character, they make up for in appearance, and that's true across the board when it comes to the Olympians, except for the homely, hobbled craftsman of the gods, Hephaestus. Hephaestus, or Vulcan, as the Romans were wont to call him, was crippled early on, but it's not agreed on exactly when or how. Uh, In one version of the story, Zeus tosses him off Mount Olympus because Hephaestus interfered with an argument between Zeus and Hera. Um, Hephaestus fell for a day, finally landing on the island of Lemnos, where his cult would later be established. Or in the much more misogynistic version of the story, courtesy of Hesiod, one of the great misogynists in history, uh, Hera gave birth to Hephaestus via Parthenogenesis, all by herself, to try to one-up Zeus after Athena busted out of his forehead. Hera wanted to prove that if a man could give birth to such an awesome goddess without a woman, so too could a goddess give birth without the help of a man. Of course, where Zeus birthed the goddess of wisdom and victory, Hera, the lowly woman, was only able to create a male-formed male god. In other versions of the story, Hephaestus is the one who helps Athena out of Zeus's forehead by smacking him on the head with a hammer. So it's a complicated picture, to say the <laughs> least. And then, of course, uh, in another version of the story, Hera takes her crippled child and tries to drown him in the sea, only to have the baby be saved by sea nymphs who then raised him. The end result of his origin story, whatever that origin may be, is a physically imperfect god cast out from Mount Olympus who eventually earns his way back in. The only god ever cast from Mount Olympus to work his way back up and earn a spot in the coveted Greek pantheon, a feat which he accomplishes through both skill and subterfuge. As the god of the forge, he creates great weapons for the gods, including Hermes' winged helmet, Zeus' thunderbolts, Aphrodite's girdle, and also the armor of Achilles, uh, the chari- chariot of Helios, and so on and so forth. In fact, if you've read the Iliad, there is a good chunk of words devoted to describing the armor of Achilles and how beautiful his shield is and all of that. It's very ornate. That's all made by Hephaestus.
4: He always reminded me of the guy in tech support that you don't like or want to hang out with, but you need his help to get it stuff done on your computer. So you come by and go, hey, what's up, man? Oh, you're really good at this stuff. Can you fix my computer?
1: That's right. Yeah. No one really wants to look at him. And he probably <sighs> smells like the guys from tech support. But uh, I, can't. I love my tech support guys.
4: Anyway. Do you hang out with them? Uh,
1: <laughs> that's my point. I don't get out that's of just, That's all I'm saying. Tech support guys get out more than I do. To get back at his mother, who had either tried to kill him or allowed Zeus to toss him off a mountain, Hephaestus created a golden throne for Hera, which once she sat in, she couldn't get out of.
3: Oh, she Uh, was punked.
1: Yeah, right? Awkward. All of the gods tried to convince Hephaestus to let her out, but he refused until Dionysus, the god of wine, plied him with drink and got the inebriated god to release their mother. As tragic as his relationship with his parents was, Hephaestus had a arguably even more tragic love life. He was lucky enough to marry the sex goddess Aphrodite, but it wasn't exactly a match made in Olympus. It was actually a forced marriage. Zeus was concerned that all of the gods who wanted to have sex with Aphrodite would end up fighting and possibly killing each other, so he married her off to the safest guy around, the ugly yet crafty Hephaestus. Of course, that didn't stop her from sleeping with Ares, the god of war. So the head cheerleader ditches the shop-class savant for the captain of the football team. But then he literally catches them in the act with a gnat. Uh, he then drags the <laughs> naked and compromised couple in front of the other gods who laugh and laugh and then convince him to let them go. Uh, partly because that way he can get the adulterer's fee from Ares. Ares has to... Pay the husband a sum of money um, for having slept with his wife. So Hephaestus makes some money off of the deal, but ends up losing his unfaithful sex goddess wife to the war god. Uh, Hephaestus also had an unrequited dalliance with the goddess Athena, which is uh, kind of a nice way of saying he, I guess, raped her. Uh, well, in the middle of the act, though, Athena disappeared. She, you know, uh, teleported out of there. And Hephaestus' uh, baby batter ended up falling to Earth and giving rise instead to a giant snake. Yeah, that's an icky story in every possible way. <laughs> uh, there's yeah. just wow. – <laughs> that was just, uh, there's just nothing good way to, about that story. Awesome <laughs> wondering if you're going to play end me. the episode. Yeah. Up? No, yeah. Yeah, sorry. But uh, there you have it. Uh, Hephaestus, um, the crippled Greek god of the forge, metalcraft, volcanoes, along with sculptors and blacksmiths, and just one more god worth not believing in. And that's going to do it for us this time. Uh, until next time, you can check out our website at doubtcast.org. Or freethoughtblogs.com slash reasonable doubts. You can email us comments, questions, suggestions, challenges, et cetera and so forth to doubtcast at gmail.com. Check out our Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube pages slash doubtcast for whatever we have to offer you there. Um, also, uh, Luke and Jeremy, you had an article recently in uh, Free Inquiry Magazine, we mentioned this last time. It's still out there now. Um, Luke and Jeremy have an article in Free Inquiry Magazine. It's got to be the, what, June 2013? Uh, yeah. And it's issue. a
2: really, really good one. Full of tons of references, it's jam-packed with information. We're mad that they didn't actually hyperlink to it on their website. Well, so they, there's not and they a, might eventually. Not an easy format we can share it with our friends with. But uh, yeah, listeners are but, always
3: asking about the references yeah. we talk about, especially with the psych studies. Yeah. So this is going to be a big. We uh, just
2: dumped them all into one article. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so please, if you can buy a buy a copy of Free Inquiry, check it out. Uh,
1: it's uh, it's well worth the time. So in the meantime, uh, read up on your free inquiry, uh, read what Luke and Jeremy have to say, and we'll be back soon with More Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. Uh, let's, um, let's do a sound check. If we're, I mean, I guess most of this is Luke, so, Luke, if you're...
4: As usual. Yeah.
1: yeah oh, usually. whatever, dude. Luke's the whatever. one who carries us. That's a big gun. that, <laughs> he's flexing. Right. Body by duff. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's do you first, Luke.
4: Me first, because it's an order of importance, No, because you're on mic number one. Oh, and that. This is my ego talking. Narcissism. Narcissism. Sism.
1: Funny, it sounds just like his regular voice.